This episode of The Homilist is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. For over 75 years, Ozark Christian College has been preparing students for ministry. Ozark's 15,000 alumni are serving in all 50 states and in 100 countries around the world, carrying the gospel to every part of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. For more on Ozark's residential and online degrees, visit OCC.edu. What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of The Homilist. I've got a fantastic guest for you today. This is my good buddy, Dr. Shane Wood. He and I were classmates in school. He was one of those guys who just has talent oozing from every pore of his body. And I mean, just a musician, a singer. A writer, a preacher, a scholar, an artist. This guy has got it all. But that's not even the best part of him. The best part of him is what he's managed to do on this journey of life and connecting people to Christ by using his own authenticity and his own honesty and his own story. You're going to love this conversation. Dr. Shane Wood. Well... Mr. Shane Wood, Dr. Shane Wood, welcome to The Homilist. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me, man. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, this is a, uh, this is a, uh, this is a really, this is a really cool deal. Um, I, uh, I, uh, I remember my first, uh, my first interaction, actually not interaction with you, but the first time I remember uh, seeing you, you came to, you came to Ozark. Uh, I had been there maybe a year prior, and you and uh, I don't remember his last name. Uh, I, I think he was from Florida. First name John. Okay, yeah, John Hill. There you go, musician. Yep. Yep. And you came and you sang, and you and him were doing music in chapel one day, uh-huh. and I was like, "This freaking guy is talented, like a good voice." And I even remember the song, which is even which is even crazier. Like I okay. remember, yeah, I remember the song. It was uh, the "We Are Hungry" song. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it was, I, and I don't know why. I was just like, "This freaking guy, he just shows up, takes over, <laughs> this cat out." So yeah, that was cool. And we had classes together after that. But uh, <laughs> but you've uh, you've gone on to do some really cool some really cool stuff. Hmm. Well, um, I appreciate that, man. I mean. Sometimes I still feel like I'm that young punk kid that still came into Ozark, and, <laughs> and I feel like I'm an imposter in all these different places. <laughs> yeah, that's okay, though. That's okay. I mean, that's, I might have uh, a suit coat on, but I still am a hippie with long hair, so I just <laughs> make sure. It's like I tell my wife all the time. I say, listen, babe, I will never embarrass you with what I wear in public, but I will hardly ever make you proud. So if we can keep that, <laughs> that expectation, uh, exactly. we'll both be happy. Still I am. So anyway, so, hey, so we uh, we got something important to uh, to talk about. You got a book launch in what, three days, four days, February 12th. Yeah. So I don't know what today is, but it's Tuesday. Yeah. Eighth, four days then. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's coming out. I'm very I'm honestly, bro, I'm just excited for it to get out. I'm like, I have to keep reminding myself, like, okay, I know I maybe submitted the manuscript a year ago, but people are hearing it for the first time. I need to remember to be excited about it yeah, still. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm kind of like your daughter. I'm like, you know, I'll dive into an idea ravenously and then I'm like, all right, let's sell it. Let's move on. To the next absolutely one. right. Yeah. Yes, that's cool. It, 
it comes out on Tuesday. Kindle printed the audiobook. I, I read the nine hours of the audiobook and wow. So yeah, it'll all be out and ready to go on Tuesday. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yep. So you did the reading yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Uh which uh yeah, had had a, a got a little studio set up and and spent about a week and a half. Cause even though it's nine hours audiobook, it takes like, you know, 70 hours to do it or whatever. So but yeah, read it word for word. And the reason why is because the, the book is so personal. I wanted people to be able to hear like, you know, my emotion, because this book in some sense is like reading my journal. Um, how the how really pouring over the word has has um well the way I say it at the beginning, the book's called Between Two Trees. I guess I forgot about that. But the whole point of the book at the beginning was I sat down to write a book on how to read the book of Revelation. And it turned into a book on how the book of Revelation, how the Bible reads me. And so it it gets into the mess of my story and my brokenness and um, of being molested when I was six and um, learning about racism at a very young age from my grandma and how the Lord has been unearthing me. But but it's also in some sense, it's also kind of a theology of atonement, uh, because even though it's autobiographical, I'm asking questions like what what happened in the Garden of Eden? What is sin? Uh, how bad is it really? Is it just that I went from innocent to guilty uh, or is it worse than that? Mm-hmm. Um, and if it is worse than that, then how beautiful is the solution? So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of um, in the vein of a Eugene Peterson or even kind of a, an Augustine's Confessions. It's, it's very autobiographical, but with a, with a theological edge. I, uh, I appreciate what Mark Moore uh, uh, wrote about. Mm. Um, on his little, um, I don't know what you call that little, little, uh, kind of endorsement or yeah. 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 And talking about, um, th- like theological poetry or something along those lines. Um, it's a really great line. And I thought, well, Mark, Mark Moore's, Mark Moore's a little prone to the hyperbolic in sense. And I thought, you know. so I dive into the book and he's a hundred percent right. And um, posing the, I am a poet, you know, mm-hmm. not a theologian, you know? Yeah. And so, just by just my own my own uh, assessment, you know, I, yeah. I would be yeah. more poet. I would be more poet than I sure. would theologian. And I thought, yeah, listen, it's like trying to say like this guy's a painter and a mathematician. Like, come on, <laughs> like you don't get to be both. So I dive into the book, and he's a hundred percent right. the mm. The racism, the racism part was very impacting, very yes. impacting. Um, not a, not a, and I think this is kind of the thing that we're seeing these days is that people talk about, you know, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not a racist or, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have any sort of racism about me. And then you kind of dive in a little bit more and what you find out is like, ugh, like there's some yeah. stuff, of, there's some stuff about me that's very, I'm very, very uneasy with. And yeah. the, the book, the book pointed to, to some of that stuff. Um, yeah. And that was that was that was a very that was a very moving, it's a very moving chapter, um, mm. especially especially the line where you're. If I can spill, can I spill? Absolutely, go ahead. Okay. No, it's great. Yeah, especially the line where um, you take your son mm-hmm. and you hand him to your grandmother. Yeah, and how how death in the in the the grammar of death began to lose its hold on yeah. on your grandmother. And yeah. years and years and years of racism that just existed. Um, it was never confronted. And then finally it's confronted, but it's confronted with love. Just 
perfect. Yeah. Just perfect, man. That was moving. That was very moving. I, I appreciate that. And that's, that's where, uh, cause man, it's weird. And I experienced this when I was reading the audiobook. It, it's it, reliving those moments. Um, they're, they're beautiful, but man, it's also like, I, whenever I read that and remember that I, I remember more of the taste of the anxiety because mm. uh, my, and I don't know if I put this in the book, but you know, you know, we adopted a, a, a my son is black and my fourth son is, is black from St. Vincent Grenadine islands. Uh, but, and I don't think I put this in the book, but I mean, this is my grandma where we told her two years before we adopted my son first that we said, we're going to be adopting first words out of her mouth were tell me it's not a black baby. Mm. And I said, well, no, sorry, grandma, it, it is. And, and, and we don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl yet, but that is a stipulation because uh, we genuinely want to reflect who we feel the heart of God is. And I, I don't want my family um, to be uh, monolithic. I want my family to struggle through the gray. I want my family to reflect every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Um, and, and I believe that, you know, God put us in America so that we could leverage it to help people all across the world. What I didn't realize though, is how much going through that process would, would redeem me. Mm. I mean, in so many ways, I don't feel like I did a favor for my son at all. I mean, yeah. he is in many real ways, he has saved me and transformed our family and he's only six. Um, but, but yeah, that moment mm. with my grandma was, there was a lot of flood there. So it's weird. It's weird even now having a lot of this in print because I'm like, this, this is like my journal stuff. You know, this is, this is me wrestling with that moment going into it, like writing it down saying, I will protect my son. Mm. We had to talk to my parents saying, if she does not embrace him, we will leave. And until she embraces him, we, we won't see her. Um, and that was never our heart and our goal, but it's like, no, I will protect him. Yeah. Uh, he deserves to be seen as Robert. Um, and so a couple of years later, it's been fascinating because um, all of my children teach me different things. Sure. sure. Uh, every one of them. So my son Zion turns 15 today and, uh, you know, we're, I, I handed him the permit book last night. It was like, get reading, <laughs> homie, you know, and like my daughter Paige, like she she taught me that I, I can't, you know, like whenever she was a little baby, I used to have this game with Zion where I'd put pillows all around him and I'd take a pillow and throw it over his head and he'd fall over and laugh. And I remember the first time I did that to my daughter and there was silence. Mm. And I was like, what's going on? I, I pulled off the pillow and she's got one of those cries where she can't breathe. And I was like, oh gosh, I was like, if I can't play in rough house, I don't know if I know how to be a good dad, but I can't do that with my daughter uh, because that's just not who she is. And then, uh, you know, with my other son Maddox, it's like his personality is totally different. So the challenges with Robert, um, I don't even see them as like badges of honor. It just happens to be a conversation in our culture that's more hot button. Yeah. Um, but with him, you know, it's like he he's playing at the age of three. He's playing with my wife on the ground. And he looks at her out of nowhere and says, I don't want my chocolate skin. I want vanilla skin like you, mm. which devastated us. And, you know, yeah. Sarah immediately was like, no, 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 no. Like. You know, and I, I, she, they came to work that day and she told me and I got down with him and I was like, buddy, I was like, your black skin, if you didn't have that, you wouldn't be Robert. And I love Robert and God made you this way to, to, to express his beauty and his grace and his joy through all of you. Yeah. And what was interesting is I have a friend uh, who's, who's a black man and he, he lets me ask dumb questions. Yeah. Uh, I, I just have to have that. You know, I yeah. have to be able to, to say and do dumb things in a safe place so that he can teach me how to love my son. Yeah. 
And I was talking to him about it. And he goes, oh, well, here's the good news. You taught him that. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, you, you taught him that. And I said, I said, no, you need to, first of all, why is this good news? And second of all, how in the world did I teach him that? And he goes, well, first, let me tell you why. Why He goes, let me flip those. He goes, this is how you, t- how you taught him. He goes, Shane, it was around Christmas time. He goes, you have a bunch of Christmas cards hanging up? I said, yeah. And he goes, black people are white. Well, primarily white. He goes, you and your wife go on a double date. Who shows up at the door? White couple or black couple? White. He goes, uh, you know, your your kids are watching a show on the TV or you and your wife are. Who's the hero? White or black? Mm. White. He goes, you taught him this. You taught him there was value uh, that you guys had in the white skin and not the black. And he goes, now let me tell you why it's good news. Because you can teach him something different. Mm. He's like, you can change the pictures on your wall. You can change the pursuit of different relationships. You can change what's on the screen. And you can communicate to him something you never meant to communicate to him. Wow. But you can communicate something different. So my son and that chapter on racism, there's a, there was actually a lot more I wish I could have been able to say. But yeah. um, it's been transformative. I mean, growing up with a with a grandma that was racist, but watching my son melt her heart. To the point now where she has a picture of him on her refrigerator. <laughs> she and people come in and she's like, "Have you seen my boy?" <laughs> and it's just, yeah, man. It's and that's that to me is atonement. That's salvation. That's the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Transformation. I uh, back to the introduction of the of the book where you write. I set out to write a book on Revelation and how we read it, and how now I'm back at this place of now this is how it reads me. Uh, what else do you what else do you pull away from that? How else does it how else does it read us and mow through us? Yeah, you know, um, one of the things that, that in the book that I started wrestling with with Revelation, Revelation is a book that Martin Luther went to kick out of the canon because he says, I don't see Jesus in it or the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I start wrestling with that and Revelation is no joke. Revelation's in your face. It looks at you and says, you know, because as Christians, works or deeds for us is a four-letter word. Mm-hmm. We, we, we're allergic to it. We're always, if we do deeds, we're always quick to say like, well, it doesn't save me. And so we have this weird, weird relationship with it. And Revelation just doesn't apologize. Revelation gets in your face and says, no, you're not doing what I asked you to do. And if you don't, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Mm. So, so I started wrestling with this question of, okay, well, what is salvation then? Because because all we, what we pretend is, is it's almost like this badge that we get and we never have to let it go. Um, but all of a sudden, Jesus says stuff like, I'm going to remove your lampstand or this passage messed me up in Revelation. Um, Revelation chapter three, verse 20. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone lets me in, I will come in and eat with them. And what messed me up was I was like, that's written to Christians. Mm. That's not evangelistic text. That's written to the Laodiceans. It's like there is a way I could be saved. But I could be living in such a way that keeps Jesus outside, that doesn't give him permission to come and to be with me. Um, and so what I started to wrestle with is with the book is what if the salute, what if the problem is way worse than just I moved from innocent to guilty? Although that is true. What if it's worse than that? What if it's what if the problem is so pervasive that the way that I move and think and live and breathe? is saturated more with death than life. But then the question starts to flip. 
But what happens if if the, if I've shortened if I've shortened the um, problem? What if the solution is far greater than I ever imagined? Mm-hmm. Um, and Revelation seems to this is the very heartbeat of it. Revelation says this: giving yourself to God that is that is the entry point to the journey. That is not the end. Yeah. Uh, salvation, bowing your knee to Jesus, coming as you are broken and messed up and all of your sin, that is that is the entry point to a journey. Um, and so I, I tell my students, I say, listen, the cross says, come as you are. The cross also says, and here's the good news. You don't have to stay as you are. Right. <laughs> we yeah. get to experience transformation. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I think that'll sing to our culture. Yeah. I think our world is desperate to be someone different. Yeah. But we don't even think it's possible. Now, but I think that's the heartbeat of the gospel. And Revelation is emphatic that Christ didn't just come to translate us from one place to another. He came to make, as the old adage says, he came to make dead people alive. Complete transformation. Yeah, that's good. I I spoke with Cy Huffer. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Probably. My minister. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> My preacher. Preacher at your church. Yeah. yeah. I spoke with him. Uh, and when you talk about culture, I was asking him, because how, how old are you, Shane? I'm 36. Okay. So Cy is what, 29, something like that? Yeah, right around there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think he, uh, 30 in March. I think he said he'll be 30 in March. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, uh, we were talking and he said, so he said, so I'm a millennial. And I said, yeah. And I said, so, I said, that's a, I said, that's a, Good talking point. I said, "What do, what do millennials bring to preaching or to ministry that the generations prior to you seem to have dropped on the wayside?" Which yeah. it, all you hear the word millennial itself is such a such an ugly nasty. It's been turned into such an ugly nasty word, you no. know, um, <laughs> because. All you ever hear in the news, millennials, 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 you know, it's just, con- which I, t- I turn the news off. I mean, I just refuse, <laughs> but you cannot stop catching these bits and pieces. You know, everybody right. wants to gripe about, you know, the millennials, this, I said, what do the millennials bring to this? And he, this was his, this was his phrase. And I, and I loved it. And he was so right. He said, um, we're not scared. Uh, mm-hmm. He said, we showed up into a world that is so twisted and weird. He said, it's just been, it's been falling apart since we got here. He said, we're not in a panic. You are. Yeah. Like your people, like your generation, you yeah. know, you are in a panic. You're the ones that look at, oh, what's going to happen if this happens? What's going to happen if this happens? He said, we're looking at it like, it's no big deal. Like it's been broken since we got here. As far as we know, this is normal, you know? And no, that's, that's pro- really insightful. It is, isn't it? And you probably see the same thing with your 15 year old. There's a different take on life that he understands and sees things in a completely, completely different light. I have a 15 year old daughter and she has this ability to just, I mean, her acceptance of things is almost puts me on edge, you know, because it's like, you know, we grew up in a different time, you know, and she's like, dad, like, calm down. It's not a big deal. I'm like, it's a, it's a big deal. (laughs) Like, is it not a big deal? I don't know if it is. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, what do you see? What do you see that the millennials are bringing into into preaching, into ministry, uh, into uh, into culture? And when I say millennials, I don't I don't just mean, you know, the the typical the typical phrase of you know the social justice warriors that are falling right. apart everywhere. I mean believers that fall into yeah. this generation called millennials 
Yeah. And what are they bringing in? What are they bringing that, that, that you just are moved by? Because you're with students all the time. Yeah. I actually, uh, I was preaching at church this past weekend and we had a question and answer time. And one of the people asked, they said, when you look into the faces of the people, you know, the students that are in your, in your classes, what do you see? And my, I, without even blinking, I, I initially said, I said, hope. Mm. They, they inspire me because they're, uh, number one, they, they're not afraid of the chaos. I didn't say that. I, I'm adding that from now on. Yeah. That's dead on. Yeah. But number two, they're also just not as worried um, about pulling all the skeletons out for everybody to see. Yeah. Like, truthfully, what they bring that I honestly, my generation struggles with. Uh, and the generations beyond me struggle with is um, there's an it's not not the buzzword authenticity. There's a raw vulnerability to them that go. they are attracted to that when they see what they what they hunger and thirst for is something that is real, something that is tr- tangible, transformative. Um, so I, I have a, I, I actually um, I got bored a couple of years ago uh, with trying to measure my own self-disclosure <laughs> in preaching. I just, I just got bored. I was just like, no, I'm done. Yeah. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. Uh, and I'm just going to let it fly. This is, this is, I was molested when I was six. Uh, this yeah. is, you know, I, I actually was angry this past week with God and here's the four reasons why, and be honest, I'm preaching the sermon and I still think I'm right. Yeah. And so I'm waiting for him to tell me how I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I found is that there is a there is a connection that I have with this with this generation, but it's not because I'm doing anything like preaching wise. It's because they're going, OK, I don't even know that I agree with you, Shane, but at least I know we can talk and you're not going to pretend. Yeah, you're not going to to uh, hide from the tough questions. You're actually going to ask them before me. Um, because I genuinely believe I had a student come to me the other day and she was like, I'm really wrestling with. You know, a particular couple of different questions about even even God and faith. And I just looked at her and I said, that's awesome. (laughs) And she goes, well, no, I want to know my answers. And I said, why in the world would I give you the answers and cut out the tension? I said, "It's it's the tension where stuff can be produced. Are you or someone you know wanting to make a difference with your life, but you're not sure where to start? At Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, they help students discover the kingdom assignment that God has for them and then train them to carry it out. Ozark prepares students for all kinds of Christian service, biblical communication, biblical justice, youth and children's ministry, counseling, missions, organizational leadership, worship and creative arts, and much more. Ozark's close community, Bible foundation, and commitment to service prepares students to take the gospel to every corner of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. And Ozark's affordable tuition offers a quality private Christian education at a public university price. Ozark Christian College. Your mission is out there. Your training starts here. I said, no, you need to wrestle now. I said, what I'm not going to let you do is to fly off the rails. But the worst thing I could do is to short circuit the greatest gift God's given you. And that is what he gave Jacob on the river Jabak to wrestle with him. No, when you wrestle with God all night long, it ends with you realizing who you are and him giving you a new name. Why would I? Why would I stop this? Yeah. <laughs> this generation is, they are addicted to it. And there will be a dark side. There will be a dark side. But I genuinely believe the spirit is stirring because it, there is a massive corrective that is needed in the church. Yeah. Where we yeah. need to be more honest about our wounds, both what they are, 
and how they have healed. And I typically find our churches doing one of two things uh, that I think the millennials are bored with. One side of it is that we hide all the wounds and we never talk about it. And they're done with that. The other side of it, though, is to almost hold up our wounds as if they're still not transformed. Oh, I'm still just a a sinner like you. No, they don't want that either. Mm. They want to know transformation's possible. They want to know that since, since you're not at the starting line like them, that there is hope for them to be someone different tomorrow. So I, I think we have to find this middle ground where we say, no, I have my wounds and there's some of them I am not healed from. And let me be honest with you about them. But let me show you the 10 of them that I used to struggle with. I just don't anymore. Yeah. Um, so, for example, like, I mean, I've been open with students. I'm like, no, when it, like, I'm, this isn't the norm for everybody. I said, but I just, pornography's just never been a struggle for me. Right. I said, no, I'm not saying I've never actually <laughs> engaged it in high school. And there was even a couple of times in college. Yes. I said, but it's just never been something that's had a hold on my heart. So the reason why that's important for me to tell you is this. It doesn't have to be every single person's struggle in order for it to be a real struggle and in order for it to be able to be overcome someday. Yeah. You know, an alcoholic needs to know that somebody can be sober. You know what I mean? They they have to have that. This generation wants both. Be honest with me. What have you really struggled with? But is it possible to not ever to struggle to overcome something? Mm -hmm. They want both. Yeah. I went Uh, to. uh, Yeah. I I, saw. So I. When I first moved to Iola, this uh, this lady stops me uh, after church and she says, "Hey, I need you to I need you to go visit my boyfriend in jail." And I said, "Okay." And uh, so I go and I uh, this is a this is a we had an old jail and it was rough. It was rough. In fact, there was a there was a mural painted on the wall uh, with food that they that they left there for a long time. I mean, it was real. It's a really it's a really kind of a tw- twisted deal. And so okay. I go in and and I don't remember what they call it, but it's basically the big holding cell and everybody is in this one holding cell, you know, and there's a couple of other ones, you know, more violent offenders that are over here, guys who are dealing with some, you know, some mental health issues and another one, um, people who, you know, maybe, maybe older uh, or no. younger kind of set aside, but then just like this general not general population, like a prison, but general just grouping. And so I had to meet with this guy with other guys in the cell and I'm just talking to him between the bars and, and I'm, and I'm visiting with him and he's an older guy and he's got this really rough, he's like, Hey, yeah, yeah, man, I've been in jail for a long time. And, and, and I'm talking to him and I said, I said, listen, his name is Steve. And I said, Steve, I said, I, um, I said, I, I, I can't help, but just ask, you know, do you have a relationship with God at all? I mean, is there any history of that anywhere in your, and he went into this long story about how his mom was kicked out of the Mormon church years ago and how this happened and this happened. And you don't know the background. You don't know, Absolutely. you know, all this stuff. And, and, and I said, Steve, I said, here's the thing that you have to understand. I said, when you become a Christian, and I don't mean like a denominational tag, when you become a Christ follower. Yeah. You are transformed. You are made new. I said, there's things that happen. I said, number one, there is a peace that you get inside of your life. And it doesn't mean your circumstances have changed, but there's a peace that just, that just happens inside of you because the Holy Spirit gives you this peace. And it's like, yeah. And I said, and Steve, I said, you get forgiveness of sins and, and you get the indwelling Holy Spirit. And I said, you begin to walk with Jesus. And he says, stop, stop, stop. Did you say forgiveness? 
of my wow. sins? And I said, yeah, Steve, I, 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 like I'm, I'm spitting, I'm spitting Sunday school stuff here. Like this right, is, right. let's move on. Let's move on into some, what's Steve going to do with his life? You know? Yeah. And he's like, so all of them. Whoa. I said, yeah, yeah, Steve, all of them. He said, my problem with God has never been that I don't believe. My problem with God is that I just wish he would leave me the hell alone. But what you're saying is different. He wants to forgive all my sins. Do you seriously mean all my sins? I said, yes, Steve, all of them. When I get out, I'll, I'll come see you. No way. We can sit and talk. It's like what you're saying yeah. when it comes to the hope side, you know, which yeah. I think is a universal thing. You know, I don't, I don't think it's just millennials, but I think universally, I think what you've put into words is that very same thing. I, I understand that I'm flawed and I understand that you're flawed. What I need to see is a model of somebody who is flawed and then somehow changed and turned yeah. into something else. Is there a way to be new again? You know, yes. is there a way to renew for me to renew my mind because of another conversation I had with a guy the other day, pornography. My sex life is so messed up because pornography has just just ran rampant in my mind. And there's things that just do not entice me anymore because I've seen yeah. too much, you know. I, look, I said, I can speak from experience on this. Your mind can heal and you can go back to the, the simple things. Yeah. The simple things that really do stir you up. You can go back to the simple things, you know, and 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 it'll be made new again. And it's just, I think that's such a good point. I think that's such a good yeah. point, Shane, that that we really do look for some sort of hope. Um, but we do, we get into that pattern of my brand of sin is weirder than yours. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. Yeah, you which know, one's like, worse? Yeah, like my brand, my brand of sin is 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 real weird. And I, so I'm going to keep it to myself. You know, I'm going to try to keep it. what you find out? And I think it was just this last Sunday. I asked, you know, I asked the congregation, you know, how many of you feel like your sin or the thing you struggle with is real weird and, um, and, and only isolated to you raise your hand. <laughs> like every, <laughs> listen, you are, you are special. You are unique, just like everybody else. You know, I mean, you yeah. look around like we we are all the same. You know, we are all the same. Like we are all fighting through our thing. Alcohol has never been a thing for me. Never. You know, yeah. it was I've never drank. I never cared to drink. Yeah. It just was it was never a thing. But there's been a million other deals that ran my soul through the freaking gamut. You know, I mean, yeah. from from porn you know, yeah. to um, image issues, you know, yeah. how people yeah. see you, um, not being able to manage your emotions or me not being able to manage my emotions, you know, changing myself in different scenarios and situations, yeah. you know, to be, to be loved. Um, and so I think when people hear that, I think that's a very, I think that's a very inspiring thing. I think your book is going to be very hopeful for a lot of people to be able to read that and, and see that. It's interesting that you're 30, you say 36, 37? Yeah. 36. Yeah. Um, that you would you would pick up on that, and you're not exactly in the in the prime spot as a young professor to start spilling the beans now. Like you should probably wait till you get tenure, right. 
and exactly you you should probably (laughs) until he can't be fired yeah you should probably hold off until no and i think that's what and much kudos much kudos to ozark for being in a place to be able to look at you and say you know what you keep doing what you're doing you know that's like my my job description here at the church this is the job description they gave me um keep being yourself preach away on sunday and do whatever you need to do to stay healthy that's all we ask Daggone. It's like, yeah. What, what, what place of, of, of business is this? <laughs> exactly right. Like this is awesome. So yeah, I think you're, I think you're hundred percent right. I think you're hundred percent right. That's really good. And I, I appreciate so much that you're there. Uh, again, everybody has, almost everybody I've talked to has kind of smashed the word authenticity when I've talked to them on the podcast. They just are bananas. Like, there's no such thing as authenticity. Or And and, and I, I understand they're coming from different angles. Um, but I think that level of just being real, you know, yeah. um, in a place where you are with guys that are coming up, uh, we're tired of seeing, we're tired of seeing preachers go through that breakdown, you know, yeah, man. That, that fear of watching these guys you know, rise to success only to find out like the, the backstory is bad. Like things have been falling off the, they've been, they've been going off the rails for a long time, you know? Well, and that's, and you know, what's interesting is that um, it, it's wound wounds always produce different things, but, but they're, but the, the, they always culminate in a sin and everybody's mm-hmm. sin is different and unique because the wounds themselves are unique in the way you've experienced them. But what's fascinating is, is that uh, where where really the wheels, quote unquote, started to fall off for me, like this is five, six years ago. This book is in the five, six years ago in the making. And it's when I finished my Ph.D. It's I finished my Ph.D. and I, and I got the I, I point up to my wall because my, my wife made me put it on my wall. I don't have any. I don't even know where my other degrees are. She's like, we all sacrificed for that degree. You're going to put it on the wall. And I'm like, all right, you know, <laughs> but. It's whenever I got it, the piece of paper, and she says, what's wrong? And I said, I thought it was going to feel different. Mm. And she was like, well, what do you mean? I said, I don't even care. It just doesn't matter to me. And, and as I started to dig, that, that was so disturbing to me that I was like, I didn't know in my heart. I thought I was going to feel different. I came to the conclusion later. I thought that the PhD was going to heal something in me that was broken. I didn't know that. That's not why I was doing it. And so there's a part of me that has a hard time even looking at a PhD that I have. I'm going, that's actually a reminder of my wound more than it is an accomplishment. But the problem is, is that my manifestation, workaholism, worry, uh, legalism, these types of things in many different settings, are they're celebrated and, and they are, they're exalted and, and, and they, produce, they produce fruit that we value. But I'm looking at people going, no, I am actually crying for help. By working 80 hours a week, I'm yeah. crying for help when I'm doing these degrees, uh, you know, getting five, six degrees before I'm 31. Like, this is a wound. This is a sin. But but instead, I keep getting promoted. And yeah. so so there's a part of me where it's it's weird within whenever I whenever I start to look at alcoholism or pornography, I relate to it. But it's not because but it, but their manifestation of brokenness is just one that that is not well embraced. And yeah. so it becomes something that they hide more. But I'm like, I'm hiding behind PhD letters. It's the same thing. It's sin. And people are like, oh, worry, that's your sin. It was one of the things that chokes out the fruit in the parable of the seeds. Like, it's a big deal. Yeah. 
It's yeah. just that it's something that if you if you worry the right way, then you can actually impress people. And if you do that, then you can get promoted. And then your sin becomes a part of who you are and it starts breaking everyone around you. Yeah. And what that does is it tells you it tells you that uh, the way our culture is, even the church, that, you know, we have a we have a uh, uh, a very unhealthy mindset because there's there's things we look at as taboo. And yeah. probably in your experience, there were so many people who would get in behind you. Like, look at this young, yep. um, this, he's an, he's an absolute anomaly. You know, this, this kid has come up through the ranks and he just, he just keeps firing away. He just keeps producing. He just keeps doing it. Get behind him, push, get behind him, push. And there's these things that are so acceptable. It's like the drug addicts and the alcoholics who say stuff like, yeah, well, I wish, I wish mine wasn't this. I wish I had a yeah. different problem. You know, I wish I had. You know, well, at least with, or, or the overeater, I heard an overeater guy say this one time. He's like, you know what? And, and his, his backstory is his beautiful backstory about his dad who, um, who was a meth addict and would come and pick him up. And the thing that his dad would do is he would take him to the cafe and they would sit and they would just talk and his, and I don't know that his dad would eat, but the boy would eat. And so eating uh -huh. reminds him of a relationship with his dad, you know, and uh -huh. so overeating. And so I'm sitting in a group with him and he says, well, I just wish that mine had something else, like some sort of hold, some sort of hook in it. Because when you say I'm, I'm addicted to food or I'm an overeater, like it, it's, it seems like such a weak thing, you know? And it's yeah. almost this idea that like some sin, like if you're on meth and you're jamming a needle in your arm, you know, then that's different. Like that's a, right. that's a, that's a different kind of sin. Like he's hooked on, what's your problem? You just like food? Oh, are you serious? You know, you're just a yeah. carbs guy. Is that really your biggest, you know, and that's not true. That's not true at all. Some are just more accepted. Some just kind of put us in a taboo category, you know? And that's where, and that's where the concept of, of revelation reading us to me is so important. I was talking to my students about this today. I said, I believe this about every book, but the Bible is unique. It is inspired by the spirit. And when you take it in, when you read it, you're not just reading it. It becomes, it comes inside of you. Mm. I said, and, and we ingest it. I said, when you ingest anything else, you understand it changes you. Yeah. I said, like alcohol, you ingest enough alcohol. It will change how you act, how you function. I said, because in a real sense, yeah, you're drinking alcohol, but in a real sense, it is transforming you. Mm. It is drinking you. And I said, the Bible is the same way. It's not just a matter of me knowing how to read the Bible, although that's important, but it's a matter of also being able uh, to get yourself out of the way enough to have it read you, regardless of how small or how big you think the sin is. Yeah. It is still connected to a wound that if left unaddressed, it will result in even the smaller. Like I had a friend uh, or not a friend, a student uh, five or six years ago, her mom had a, uh, a splinter that got infected and the prayer request was. Because she didn't take care of it, it actually has caused her to go like like close to being septic and like her body was shutting down because of a splinter. It's like, I don't care how small the wound is. If it goes unaffected, it can affect all of you and everyone around you. Yeah. And so what we need to do is allow the spirit to unearth us, all of us. And what we can't do is criticize our sin any more than we can criticize our overcoming of sin. Yeah. We need to be able to embrace the whole story. Um, and I and I see this. I see this in Joseph, uh, in Genesis. I see this in Jacob. It's one of the things I'm like. If our if our Bible was a fabrication of something that you know, it's like you know, like it's the worst way to fabricate anything. <laughs> Absolutely, like David, a man after God's own heart. 
killing people to marry a woman. <laughs> right. And my, right. But one of the things I always tell people, I'm like, David was the king. He could have edited that out of the history. Yeah. But he didn't. Yeah. Because there's a part of vulnerability, which I know people don't like the word authenticity. And I'm like, all right, let's set that aside. Raw vulnerability, refusing to fight for yourself by keeping the secrets to yourself. Mm-hmm. There's something about this that actually all I'm wanting us to do is to step into the legacy of every person throughout the Bible that we admire. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, and honestly, I think the the overcoming the sin, I talk about this in the book, is what it means to be truly human. Um, I, 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 I preached a sermon here recently at Ozark and my, my dominant thought was stop sinning. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's, a, that's pretty original, Shane. That's yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> but what was funny was whenever I said it, uh, you know, there was like some giggles and I was like, no, I'm, I'm not kidding. Right. Stop <laughs> sinning. And I, and I said, because if we think that sinning, it, I said, we believe this to be human is to sin. Yep. You're right. And I said, here's the problem. If that is true, Jesus was never human. So like, if that's true, we are not fully saved. I said, if if to be human is to sin, Adam and Eve then were not human until Genesis 3, which mm-hmm. makes evil and death their creator and not God. Yep. I said, no, to sin is to be less than human. Sin is the imposter. It should not have a home. But here's the beautiful thing is that we don't have to get re- vicious with it at the beginning. That's the tender part. But it is at so come as you are all broken. But the good news is that not only are you forgiven from sins, but that you don't even have to be controlled by them from here on. Yeah. And this is the early church. The early church, Athanasius in his book on the incarnation, he has this beautiful part where he's talking about the power of the church moving. And he says this, he says, adulterers come into the church and they leave faithful spouses. Liars come in and they leave truth tellers. Like this is the power of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I'm an adulterer and I get to come in, but then I leave and I'm not the same. Yeah, that's good. I uh, we rebranded uh, some church stuff here, and we went from you know like the normal mission statement of. <laughs> I'm probably going to insult somebody, and I don't mean to when I say this, but <laughs> oh, like, yeah. stuff, like because I'm 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 a little bit of a cynic on on just the I don't and I don't know why, but I just am. I'm just kind of a cynic when it comes to you know cute little cute little catchphrases and one word one word mission statements like go grow and show, you know, or, <laughs> or, you know, give, live and thrive, yeah, uh, right. wh- whatever, it, whatever it is. It's just, it, and so what we did is we, we sat down and we mashed through, like, so what are the things that we believe? What are the top, you know, 10 things? Okay. Now what are the top five things? What are the things that are most important to us? What identifies us the most? So me and my, me and my cohort, uh, Luke Bycroft, who I work with, Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sat down and we started putting it together, and one of the things that the common theme that we kept coming up against was this idea of of, uh, of fighting and this idea of um, putting our weakness on display. And that that verse that I will beat my body and make it a slave, and that beat my body has got this powerful, which you probably know, powerful Greek picture mm-hmm. to it. This idea to black my own eye. And then shackle myself, you oh, know, mercy. And so how do you put that in imagery? Because we decided we weren't going to go with words. We were just going to go with pictures. 
So instead of words, we just came with pictures. The only thing that we could come up with that would really put this in perspective and really kind of make an icon for a verse like that, a black my own eye, is brass knuckles. Whoa. And so we drew it all up, sat down with the elders, put it in front of them, and said, you know, this is the do or die. Like, go back to the drawing board or, you know, put it on everything. Like, this is... So it, it kind of created a weird tension, you know, because these are these are elders, you know, yeah. and of a, of a Christian church, you know, and they they sat and they looked at it and they kind of went through it and they put it on a crest. It's a it's a shield. And oh we wow! Co- we quartered it and then we put the four things, you know, and it, it brings some other things in, but the four things. The last one down in the corner is brass knuckles, and so they pass it around the room and they're all looking at it. Very, very stern, you know, serious men, you know, who, who enjoy uh, an Enneagram seven in their life, you know, <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and they, uh, they, they like the, they like the enthusiasm that, that, that brings, but they also understand it needs to be, needs to be sidelined sometimes. Like, I think maybe you, too many turnovers, buddy. You're going to have to get you off the court in just a minute, you know? <laughs> And uh, yeah, great assists, great on defense, just too many turnovers. Right. And so I'm sitting in this meeting thinking, yeah, what's going to happen? And uh, one of them says, uh, you want to expound on these uh, brass knuckles? And I said, yeah. I said, uh, I said, just my own personal, my own personal fight, you know, with addiction. And I said, that verse, you know, that talks about that I beat my body and I make it a slave. I said, just kind of the, just the general idea of, shackle myself down you know take this version of me and leash it and put it away and say you know there's a part of me that needs to be tied down on a regular basis i need to throw i need to throw my elbow over the car seat sometimes because the guy in the back's like let me drive let me drive and like we've seen you drive right this guy needs a quick one you know right and i said uh, brass knuckles just kind of represent this is the discipline that we have in our church that we want to face hard things that we want to we want to push against the stuff that's in our life and just be honest with where we are, you know, that porn was a thing that wrecked my marriage for a long time. And we were able to put it back together. Porn was a thing that wrecked ministry for me for a long time. And God was, God came in and, and, and healed that and, and put that back together and changed the dynamic of our church. Brass knuckles are kind of close to me, you know, and they slide it back across, put it back in front of us. And they say, Looks good. Get the banners made. Get them hung up. Looks good. <laughs> I, I look at Luke and I'm like, ah, uh, like what? I did, like this is the part where the one needs to look at the seven and say, no. you know, yeah. <laughs> this, I need you. I need you to say like, this is not a good decision. This is really gonna. And he's like, he said, it's right. It's just right. So in our sanctuary are these banners that go down the side. And one of them is brass knuckles, you know, that, that hang on the side. And, and when people walk in, <laughs> as soon as we had them hung up, this very sweet, um, upstanding, very finished, polished woman stops me on the way in the door. And she says, excuse me, Jared. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she says, uh, are those brass knuckles on the, on the wall? <laughs> yes, ma'am, they are. And she just looks at me. She goes, okay just curious 
<laughs> yeah, I bet. There's got to be more. And that was it. That was it. Not another word. And I was preaching on that one because we were introducing them one by one. And I was preaching on oh. that one that day. So went in and I preached and I talked about it. Man, it was just like, it was like, just like, yeah, yeah, that makes 100% sense. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's exactly what we need to exactly what we need to do. So I, so I think that that's such a powerful, that's such a powerful idea for you to take your thoughts, um, especially journal type thoughts, put them in a yeah. book and set them out in front of people. And kind of like a conversation uh, that we had on the phone the other day, you were talking about the radio interview, you know, yeah. and how people kind of, people kind of retract, you know, yeah. that we don't want light. We really don't want light. It's this, it's the story in the, in the book. Have you yeah. ever had somebody flick the light on just and leave yeah. you, get up, get up. Get to wake you up. Yeah. yeah, just to wake you up. And what does that do? It causes you to recoil. That this is not just. You know, yes. so I, I, I love I love what you're doing with that. No, and that's where um, referring to that radio program, he asked me at one point, he was like, you know, you're so vulnerable in this. Do you kind of feel like you're the last, like, you know, I forgot how he said it was something like some pigeon, something. The idea was that you're going to be shot out of a thing and people are going to shoot at you. That was the idea. And I was like, okay. And I, and honestly, I just told him, I said, listen, diving deep into my own wound was so incredibly painful and the darkness was so overwhelming. I honestly don't know what they could say that could make me feel worse than whenever I was keeping it in the dark. Yeah. It's just there is a part of this where the pain that you go through of bringing something out of the darkness into the light, it is real pain. It is, it is not something to be trifled with. It's not something to truncate or to, or to minimize. It is intense pain, but it's the, but it's the healing on the other end that ultimately uh, makes the pain worth it. Um, and that's where I love the fact that Jesus resurrects, uh, but he still has his wounds, but they're mm. scarred now. And, and so I talk about this in the book, too, where it's like and what scars celebrate is, number one, they celebrate a wound that was so deep that it actually leaves a mark on you forever. Yeah. But number two, the scar celebrates that the healing of that deep wound is in Christ. And so and, and this actually is the way that I didn't realize this. But the more I reflect on the book, I'm going, this is actually the way I preach, too, hmm. um, as I preach by basically saying this. Uh, it, you, I'm a Eugene Lowry, huge Eugene Lowry homiletical plot fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's because I think it's what stories do. What stories do is they bring us into what are all common amongst all of us, a struggle. Everybody, like when I hear brass knuckles, I'm going, oh, no, as a one, I know what it's like to beat my body into submission. Yeah. And I do it in the way in which it doesn't want us to do it. Yeah. I do it in a way in which that's actually unfair. I distort myself by how much I beat myself into submission. Um, but I'm going like, but whenever I preach, what I'm trying to do is empty myself of myself to sit where they are and ask this question. How do I get them to experience this revelation from God? Not just the book, but whatever it is that's coming from the text, the way that I experienced it. And so a lot of my sermons are homiletical plot because I'm, I'm through questions. Um, I'm actually telling the story of how I came to this transformative thought that has made me different. Um, and I want them to have the same aha moment. I want them to have the same struggle. I want them to be, have their equilibrium upset, not just as a means by which I can, um, uh, you know, wax eloquently or, or, you know, throw out rhetorical, um, you know, patterns, but because ultimately I'm going, I don't want you just to hear the word. I want you to experience it. Yeah. Uh, 
in a way in which you feel the pain I felt and you connect it in parts of your stories that I never will understand completely, but we can come together in a similar wound. And I feel like then in some sense, then the preaching experience is just that it's an experience where I'm demonstrating to you how a wound has been exposed and healed in my life and it will connect in yours. I mean, that's really what the, how the book is written too. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I know any other way to connect with other people. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's, but I think you're right. I mean, I think that's a very, I think that's a very honest thing. I mean, the nativity says the same thing. Yeah. Yes. I exactly mean, right. I mean, the nativity says the very same thing. I'm here and I'm like you. And yeah. in in a reciprocal sense, now it's time for you to become like me. You know? Yeah. And I mean, that's uh, a, which is so crazy because I never once feel whenever I feel that Jesus comes and becomes flesh, I never feel judged by him because he's so holy. Yeah. It's that verse in Romans that I always go back to. Do you not know that it's God's kindness that brings you to repentance? Yeah. And it's like, I thought it was because he was angry. Like I'm repenting yep. because I don't want to get in trouble. Like, no, like you got yeah, doted, no. you got doted on. And because you got doted on, you fell to your knees, crushed and said, the weight of this is too heavy. And it's like, yeah. what planet are we on? Like, <laughs> how does that happen? You know, it, the it, weight it, of it, goodness, you know? And because we are so accustomed to the darkness, it feels like pain. What is beautiful mm. and tender and joy, it feels like pain. Because light, when it shines into your eyes after you've been in darkness for so long, you can't help but squint. Everything's blurry, and it feels like you're being punished, mm-hmm. and you're not. Yeah. It's a, it's it, it's it is the path to healing, um, but a lot of times we just mistake it as the path to further punishment. <laughs> yeah, which is which I think explains, <laughs> which is, which I think explains why some of the interactions that we have, and you even talk about this in the book, some of the interactions that we have with other people, it becomes this. Also, oh, you're a Christian, like, eh, and you begin to feel the recoil because of, listen, the Holy Spirit in your life and just you, that's the thing we pray in the mornings yeah. uh, with, with my family. Let us go and be a light to the people in our life today. And, and when we pray, it doesn't matter if it's my youngest daughter, Brooklyn, if it's Allie, if it's my wife, Kate, whoever prays, we always come back to that line. Let us be a light. And in that, sometimes it manifests as... So I was a light today and things went really crappy, you know, yeah, and yeah. I was a light today and things went really, really good, you know, yeah. and, and you see that same thing when we, when we encounter, when we encounter other people and, you know, they hear this about you, they find out about you. <laughs> okay. I got this story right before I, right before I got on here, my buddy, my buddy called it. He says, Hey, have you ever said something really douchey and felt like an idiot? You know, and uh, <laughs> like uh, d- d- daily, you know, and yeah, he's like, and he's like, I he said, I don't know. I don't know why this, ha- I don't know why I did this. He said, but I walked in the gas station. The guy's like, man, sure is beautiful outside today, isn't it? And I said, uh, this guy says, yeah, yeah. I said, it's beautiful out. And he's like, man, God sure does a lot of really cool stuff with the, with the weather. I mean, just changes everything. This is a strange exchange anyway, that, that I'm, that I'm, that I'm overhearing as he's telling me about this. And yeah. He's yeah. like, yeah. And he said, and my, and my buddy, which this is a little out of character, but he just, I don't, I don't, something was going on with him. And he says, yeah, but it's not going to be nearly as beautiful as heaven. He said, and you could hear the record scratch, you know, like in the convenience, like everybody was like, what? He said, I just was like, he said, now I can't go in that ca- that gas station for a long time. He's like, <laughs> Come on. Because there's that thing, you know, like it, when, when it's there and, and that's where your mind is and that's where your heart is, it really does cause some discomfort in a lot of places. So, yeah. 
how are you how are you on time shane are you good I have no idea what time it is, so we're fine. It's twelve. It's twelve twenty. I don't know if you if you got somewhere else you need to be or the lunch is served at twelve thirty, so we got ten minutes. Okay, all right, all right, good, good, good. I didn't. I just didn't want you to. I just didn't want you to have to. No, I, to, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, you're fine to whatever. So, um, so talk to me. Talk to me about uh, about uh, a couple couple of things. Um, this podcast is is uh, created. Uh, to encourage uh, the number of ministers that are out there who they don't who get in that grind of you know you have the luxury of working with a team and I have the luxury of working with a team you know and yeah. a, a lot of these guys don't one of the guys from the um, Kansas Nebraska Southern Baptist Convention I was talking to him on the phone a while back and he said. Uh, Something like 85% of our churches in Kansas and Nebraska, the ministers there are bivocational. Wow. Which means lack of resources, lack of yeah. time off. I mean, they're balancing, they're balancing other jobs on top oh of God. trying to. And I thought, you know what? If there were a if there were a um if there were resources, free yeah. resources that would put Put them in the company of, or put these people in the company of these guys, and let them just drink in yeah. some of the stuff that's going on. Um, some some encouragement of some sort. Um, yeah. So that that was kind of a that was kind of a helpful a helpful thing. Um, my morbid curiosity was was the first thing. The second thing was, and I think people need more encouragement. I know I do. You know, yeah. I, I mean, words of affirmation okay. mean a lot to me. You know, yeah. and. So when when you hear something like that and you know that there's a number of guys that are out there by themselves struggling through ministry doing the thing what kind of words of encouragement can you bring to those guys who are going to hear this Yeah let, let me let me actually say a couple of things and then let me and I hope none of it comes across as pandering cuz that's not my goal my my heart though is actually the very same as yours my my first 10 years of located ministry were actually I was that person mm. I did not have a team I was at a church of 60 and I would go, I would save up all of my budget to go to one conference a year. And then I would come home depressed because I didn't have the money to put anything into play mm-hmm. uh, that, that we even talked about. And so it, it felt like an island. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I, I, I've gotten special permission from Ozark to record every single one of my lectures at Ozark. And I put them on my website for totally free audio, video. I have hundreds of hours um, from the book of Acts, the book of Mark, uh, you know, Matthew, Revelation. And and I told them, I was like, I, I refuse to take money for this um, because I have been that small town minister and I did not have money for further education or for further um, for curriculum. One of the things I love is Ozark now is putting out these next level videos yeah. and they are free and they are high quality videos. Yeah. And we, we literally spend thousands of thousands of dollars on these videos. And I love that Ozark says, and we will give them away for free. Yeah. Um, so the next level videos and stuff like that. So my first thing is, is I would say is I feel it, man. And I understand. And I want you to know that that you're not alone, that we're we are working for you to try to make sure that you're not alone. The second thing, though, that I would say, though, is is this the greatest resource that you have is your own story. Um, part of the things that I I fell into the temptation as a small church or as a lonely minister is to think that. What I needed was the right curriculum. What I needed was the right lighting. What I needed was, and this would attract the people. 
That's not what will attract the people. What will attract the people is a transformed person in front of them. Mm. And if I could give the greatest encouragement I can give, and it's not even going to sound like encouragement, but it is. Um, And the encouragement is dive as deep into your own wounds as you possibly can on behalf of your church. Uh, Go to counseling, save your money from those conferences and go to counseling. Uh, Dive into tools like the Enneagram. Uh, why? Because I genuinely believe we can only take people as far as we ourselves have traveled. 100% agree. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things where I'm going, and matter of fact, this is, I, I didn't realize this until a couple of weeks ago. So if I've, I've been saying it everywhere, I've been so excited. I'm going, oh my gosh, like it's Matthew, Matthew, whenever Jesus says, you know, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then in Matthew's gospel, he says, and the second is like the first. And I'm always like, how is, how is there anything like the first? But then he does something really weird. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so then I stopped and I started, so a couple of weeks ago, I started working in reverse. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I don't know how to love myself, I won't know how to love my neighbor. And then I won't know how to do the first greatest commandment. Yeah. So how do I love myself? By diving deep, deep into my wounds. Yeah. By refusing to allow my wounds to dictate how I see myself, view myself. And what I've what I found is is that that has created a deeper compassion in me for for complaints that I get at the small churches that feel very personal more than they feel <laughs> um, constructive. Yeah. Um, I even had a minister ask me recently, "How do you how do you get criticized so much and still love the church?" <laughs> and, and my response was, "Is in diving in my own story, I've realized broken people break people." Yeah. And so I know how I've broken people and I know how I've been broken. And it gives me compassion in those moments. Had I not dove into my own story, I I could not be the minister that I am. And so my encouragement to everybody out there is number one, you're not alone. I'm not, I I want to give you free stuff because I know what it's like. But number two, I'm going, the best resource you can get is not on my website and it's not at a conference and it's not even in a book. It's, It's diving into your own story. And realizing that transformation is what it is that should compel not just you. And this is my definition for your job description of you be healthy. Yeah. I think there's such deep wisdom. That's what they're telling you. Dive into yeah. your story. Be healthy because the healthier you are, the more you'll be able to help those around you. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate all that you've done. I appreciate the um, appreciate the work you've put in and mm. uh, appreciate you wrestling with your yeah. uh, with your with your wounds like you have. It's a, it's very, very inspiring. And, um, so on behalf of, behalf of everybody who's going to get to hear this, uh, thanks for, thanks for doing this and we'll connect again. We'll connect again soon. Yeah. Thank you, Jared, man. I appreciate you too, brother. Yeah. yeah, No trouble. No trouble. All right, buddy. I'll let you go. Uh, have a good day. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. See you, buddy. Shane, I appreciate you so much taking the time to be on the show with us. If you have not seen Shane's book, Between Two Trees, you gotta go find that one it's on audio kindle um, paperback i bet you if you wrote him and you sent him your book he would sign it for you between two trees by dr shane wood it is a great read so uh, get your hands on that as quick as you possibly can thank you for listening 